The passage for our thoughts this morning comes from uh, Psalm chapter 14. And it's, it's a passage that when I hear it, it's, it's an easy one to remember. It's one that I think I've heard sermons on before and, and people might reference uh, just easily in conversation. Psalm 14.1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, and you probably know it, don't you? There is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. But that first part is is the point that I want to look at in the lesson today and consider that thought. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What is that? What is that saying? What is, what is the point of that? Because when I would hear that, I would, um, you know, I, I think I'd be like most of us and I would think atheist, atheist, they're, they're fools because we're surrounded in this world by proof that God exists. There is proof all around us, even the fact that we have a moral compass within us. Everyone, even atheists themselves, have a moral code that they live by. Where did that come from? They have to assume that it's not a result of of nature, of survival of the fittest. That doesn't give you a moral code. Rather, you have to consider there is something beyond that calls us to something higher. You look at the world and you see all the design in the universe. You have to think there is a God. And and you also have to think of just kind of the fact that, hey, there is something. And since there is something that had to come from somewhere, did it, is it eternal? Or did it get here on its own and poof out of nothing came something? Or is there a God? You know, you have to consider that there is a God. And and so only a fool would say there is no God. Atheists are fools. But today, I don't want to take that simple approach. I, I don't think that that is necessarily even what this verse is uh, is pointing to. Let's look at verses verse two and verses two and three. It says the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. So to summarize verses two and three, I just put this simple thought that God is watching and he sees everything. He knows everything. He knows what's in our hearts, what's in our minds, what we think. He, He sees all. He knows all. And what does he see? And at the end of verse number one, it just, there is no one who does good. At the end of verse three, there is no one who does good, not even one. So now I want to use that thought and get us to go back to the very first phrase that is used. 
Chapter 14, verse number one, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that the fool has said with his lips that there is no God. And I just want to get us to pause and think today for a moment that even though we may never say with our lips, there is no God, that perhaps we say it with our heart. Perhaps we say there is no God and act like there is no God when we sin and when we don't seek after him. And I think those two thoughts are going to bear out through all of Psalm 14. I think of people... um, people at the time of David, I, I think this is, this psalm was attributed to David. Perhaps as, he, perhaps as he wrote the psalm, perhaps he was thinking about all the enemies around Israel and how they wanted to destroy Israel and how they were such godless people. I think that's part of what this psalm is about, that there are enemies all around, there are enemies without, and they don't believe in God, and they are fools. They should believe in God, the one true God, the great mighty creator. But what about enemies within? You think about uh, um, so many times, even David, you know, his enemies came from those who surrounded him. They came from within his own nation, his own people. Now, if those people were opposed to David, do you think they really, even though they would have claimed to know God and to believe in God and to live for God, when they were turned against David, They were, in fact, acting the fool. They were saying in their heart, there is no God, because they were going up against the Lord's anointed one. I think it's very possible for us to say with our lips, I believe in God. And that's up here in our minds. And we know it to be true that there is a God, but that truth hasn't connected with our hearts. And the way we live, it portrays, makes known the evidence that what's in our heart really shows that we think there is no God. So how are we living? What are we doing? Are, we, are our lives really showing evidence to the world that there is a God? Um, there are a couple of thoughts here. I, I think the first time that I had um, maybe a little bit of this concept put into my mind was uh, DC Talk years ago had a song called What If I Stumble? And it opens with a quote uh, from a man. Uh, oh, I, I'm, his name's escaping me right now. But he wrote, I think it was called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And the thoughts of that quote said, the greatest single cause of atheism today are Christians who acknowledge Christ with their lips and they worship him with their lips, but when, but then they go and live as if there is no God. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. 
So Christians are the greatest cause of atheism, and I think he's on to something. I think the decline of the church, the decline of Christianity in the United States of America is, is the fruit of that. Christians who claim to believe, but then they might come together and worship on Sunday and be with the people, and if you see them on the street, are you a Christian? They'll say, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. He's my everything and my all, but they walk away from worship and they walk away from that conversation and go and live just like everyone else. Uh, a book was written a few years ago called uh, um, The Christian Atheist. And it's about exactly that. Christians, people who claim to be Christians, but they really live as if there is no God. God has not, They, they at some point in time, they have, supposedly given their lives to Jesus, but when they go on their way and when they live out their life, it's, it's really no different than anybody else. So today, the question for us to consider is, even though I have never said there is no God, have I ever acted like it? And do I live as if there is no God? First John, a couple of New Testament passages. Um, First John chapter uh, chapter two, we're looking at verses three and four, and it's so uh, even the words just bring us back to Psalm fourteen because in Psalm fourteen verse number one it, it said God was looking down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Are there anybody? Is there anybody who really? knows God, understands him, seeks after him. First John 2, 3. By this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Those are Scary words. If if you believe, supposedly, but you don't obey the truth, you don't keep that truth, you don't know him. You don't even know him. Jesus himself, Matthew twenty Matthew seven, twenty-one through twenty-seven. This is really this he's getting to the end of his sermon on the mount. This is what he wants to tell people. This is the crux of it. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. The foolish man doesn't obey. He hears the words, maybe even says, oh, those words are great. I believe those words, but if he doesn't do them, if he doesn't put them into practice, if he does not obey, then he will be judged. You must believe, trust, and obey, or a terrible judgment, a great and mighty crash awaits. Psalm chapter 14, verse number 5 says when it's talking verse i'll read verse four with it it says do all the workers of wickedness not know he who eats up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the lord there they are in great dread for god is with the righteous generation they are the wicked are in great terror something terrible and horrible awaits them from god So again, you may believe there is a God, and it might be up here in your head, and you know it to be absolutely true, and you that's firmly planted in your head there is a God, but do you believe it with your heart? Do you, if, it's, if you're not pouring forth in your life, if you're not bearing the fruit of Christ in your life, if you're not doing what he says, if you're not walking like he walked and talking like he talked and doing the things that he did and that were commanded upon us through his apostles, the holy word of God, everything that is in there applies to us. And we must do it, obey it. To believe and obey God from the heart, number one, seek after God. So read and pray, seek after him. Don't get distracted by all the the corruption, the junk, I'm going jumping to point number two, but turn away from wickedness and corruption. Even though great things of this world, they're, they're corrupt. They're not eternal. They're worldly. What are we seeking after? Are we seeking after pleasure and joys and, and worldly things? Or are we seeking after God and wanting to know him? Seek after God. Don't just say, I know him, but make him your passion to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Seek him, obey him. I want to apply this, and I mean, it's just a a broad application there, but I kind of want to narrow in on verse four, a little bit with Psalm 14. There, as we read a second ago, it talks about the wicked. They eat up my people as they eat up bread. As we think about obeying Christ, as we think about having him in our heart and obeying him completely, let me ask you to consider just this concept of 
being righteous and following the ways of God. Analyze yourself and consider, do you find good in others or do you criticize? Which one are you prone to do? This is a pretty good indication of what's in our heart. Because if we're in our mind, we say, oh, there's a God and he is great and he is good. And then we look at others and we just criticize and pick apart and find everything wrong. We have shown what's in our heart. We have exposed the truth that we really are ones who have said in our heart, there is no God because we're not seeking to please him or be like him. Second question to consider is, do you build others up or tear them down? What's your goal in life? You build others up or tear them down. The wicked eat up my people as they eat up bread. Still language we use now. I'll eat you up and spit you out. You know, it's just, what's our goal? Do we want to tear people down or build them up to encourage, to strengthen, to edify them? What are you prone to do? What's in your heart? Another question, do you have empathy towards others or do you only think of self? This, uh, in this age that we're in, it's us against them. You see it everywhere. It's just us against them. The politics that's going on nowadays, it's us and them. It's more, more drastic and severe than it has ever been. Racism, it's us against them. Um, it, it, rich and poor, it's us against them. Whichever side you're on, it's always that Satan is trying to work in this world to create this idea that it's us against them. But Jesus wants us to have empathy towards others. The wicked will just eat others up and try and destroy others when it's an us versus them mentality. But when we have empathy towards others and we are, even if somebody disagrees with us, even if we can look at somebody and we know, I know you're wrong. Are you going to try and eat them up and spit them out? Or are you going to have some empathy and some compassion towards them? Try and understand them. Are you in it for yourself or do you put others first? And the last question is, do you view others? This is so much to, related to this last question, the previous one, I should say. Do you view others as God views them, or do you have a worldly view of others? You know, this is, if we could get this concept right here to try and view others as God views them, if we could see the world through God's eyes, it would solve so many of our problems. Not talking about the world's problems. Yeah, eventually they'd get there too. But all of this, you know, if we could just view other people as God sees them, we'll fix a lot of these other things. We won't, we won't be criticizing other people. We will be finding good in them. We will be building them up. We will be seeking to know and understand them 
so that then we can say, I care about you and I love you and I, let me give you something greater. Let me turn you to God. Let me teach you about Jesus. You know, if we, we, we as a church at Garrett Street, we want to be evangelistic. We, we want that more than anything. What we're gonna, what's going to make it happen is if we actually have the heart for God that looks at others and says, I know you need God and I'm going to do whatever I can to help you know God. Because Jesus proved that he was willing to do just that. I'm going to do whatever I can to save the heathen. You know, I'm not going to look at somebody and say, oh, he's a rich person. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't need God. No, Jesus died for that person. I'm not going to look at somebody who is a, a drunk on the street and say, well, they're too far gone. I don't care. You know, I'm just going to go on and do something else and ignore them. God sent his son to die for that person. How do you view others? When we're, when we're, when we see other people who don't have as much as we have, do we look at them and say, man, they're, they, they need to get busy and start working hard and, and, and they'll, uh, they'll have what they need. Uh, you know, if, if we're looking at people and not caring about them, we're exposing what's in our heart. We're exposing that selfishness that says, I really don't want to do what God wants me to do. And that's reach out to that person with the gospel. What is in our heart? In our minds, we, we can say all day long that there is a God, and I know it to be true. But if I'm not letting that come forth from a passion in my heart for God and seeking after him and seeking to, to do good in this world in the name of Jesus Christ, then we're living like a Christian atheist. We're living like one who is saying in our heart, there is no God. Jesus came to die for the sins of the world. We need to follow his example. If we really believe he came to seek and save the lost, then we must also be willing to do what we can to seek and save the lost. So a specific exercise I'd ask you to do for this week and I'd like to talk about with you all is find ways to build others up instead of devouring others. Let's act like Christians. Let's do the work of Jesus and build others up and teach them about Christ Jesus. Because otherwise, if we're living like atheists, if we're in our heart, we're saying there is no God and we, the way we live it out just bears that to be true, then a great and dreadful terror awaits us. There is a judgment coming when Jesus would say to any one of us, depart from me, I never knew you, and that is a frightening thing. Psalm 14, 7. Oh, that salvation would come out of a Zion. When the Lord restores his captive people, Jacob will rejoice, Israel will be glad. So I want to encourage you to live like a believer. I want to encourage you to not say only with your head that there is, a, there is a God, but to live it out from your heart that there is a God. And he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who has come forth. He is the salvation that came out of Israel. He has come forth from Zion to save a captive people. That is you and I. He came forth to save us. There's anybody in our audience today who wants to give their life to 
the one who has brought salvation, I encourage you to do that. If there's anybody who needs to repent of sin, and I, I think I'll speak for all of us as believers who have given our lives to Jesus, we know that we can do be more dedicated. We've got to grow each and every day as we seek after God and seek to do his will. Turn away from sin and and just follow after Jesus with all our heart. We can do that better. So, But if there's anybody who wants prayers in that regard, I encourage you today. You can respond. You can give me a call. Give somebody else a call. Have a prayer partner. But do something. If you need to give your life to Christ, we can uh, get to the church or find some other body of water and immerse you in the name of, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can have a new life and live for him. If you need to respond, you're welcome to do so today as we sing this song.